Uh, but, but we're hearing some incredible stories about Radical and what God is doing. We have about 100 Radical groups around the metro area, and we thank the Lord for that. And um, I had lunch with a tremendous couple just uh, this past Friday, uh, and uh, amazing what the Lord is doing. They are from the Fiji Islands, and um, the first day they came to the church, we unpacked. I don't know why these guys are coming up to the platform right now. <laughs> um, but um, I get scared when guys like that look and they're coming up to the flag like, security! No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but uh, they're from the Fiji Islands, and Filippo travels around the world, and I was so intrigued by his story. Uh, but they came to the church about five, six weeks ago when we unpackaged the Radical series, and I challenged people to become radical gatherers. And so this family said, hey, we can do that. We're going to open our home, and they live in North Woodmere, and they opened their home to their family and their neighbors, and uh, they happened to live right next door to a Jewish lady. And um, so mom, she just took a book, and she went over to the Jewish lady, and she said, would you like to come to our radical group? And the Jewish lady said, I'd love to, and she's been coming ever since. Amen. Glory to God. That's so cool. Is that, is that powerful how the Lord is working in so many different ways through the Radical series, and we thank the Lord for that. And thus far, we have talked about being radical for Jesus in the sense that Jesus calls us for radical abandonment. He calls us to abandon ourselves, to abandon everything, to come and follow him. And the second week, we talked about radical grace, that if God has touched us with his grace, if we have experienced God's grace in our life, then we need to share that grace with someone else. And so we talked about radical understanding or radical realization that if God has touched us, then the world deserves for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then we talked about radical dependence, that we are wholly, totally dependent on the Holy Spirit, that we can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of our lives. And today, as we gather together, not just in this place, but we want to welcome also Calvary's family out in Yapank. We want to thank God that they're watching this today, and we're praying for your church. And I believe that God has a message for you today, so get ready to respond. Thank God for Pastor Paul and Lee Russo as they lead that great congregation. And so we want to welcome you to this service today. Everybody, let's just welcome Calvary's family as well. We want to thank God for our connection with Farmingdale, our other campus. And then we want to say hello to everyone who is watching via live stream. Did you know that on any given Sunday, we can have upwards to 350 people that are connecting with us and that have made this their church all around the world? In fact, let me tell you a story about a young lady who came to the church. She gave her heart to the Lord. She lives in the Middle East amongst many Muslim people, and she sent me a note. Just uh, a couple of nights ago, my phone went off about 12 o'clock at night, and I looked, and uh, I said to myself, she must be on a different time zone. Uh, but she sent me a message, and she said, thank you, thank you, thank you, Pastor Steve, for pouring into our lives every Sunday. We tune in to watch you. We got the Radical Series, and we are doing Radical Groups in Dubai and in the Middle East. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. 
So this thing is going. God is doing a great thing. People are being changed by the power of God. Now, I want to talk to you today, this morning, about a reality that is in the church. I am convinced today, and I don't want to be offensive, but I'm going to say some radical things today. But I am convinced this morning that there are strong Christians in the house. There are Christians here that are Christ-centered. That they have given their lives for the gospel. They have given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also am aware that in this place today, there are some weak Christians. There are some fleshly Christians. There are some carnal Christians. Christians that are struggling with sin. Christians that are struggling with the flesh. And there are Christians that are really, really struggling with their walk with the Lord. And I want to encourage you today, but I also realize this one thing. The, the difference between a strong and healthy Christian or a weak and self-centered Christian is usually tied to one thing, and that is discipleship. It's tied to radical impartation. People giving their lives for other people. You see, I am deeply convinced that every strong, godly, Christ-centered, healthy Christian has another healthy Christian that's pouring into their lives. Somewhere in their lives, somebody invested in their life. The truth is the American church is much more interested in filling seats in churches than making disciples. But the truth is, Jesus was much more concerned about discipleship making than filling churches with people that don't know how to connect with God. In fact, every time that Jesus was confronted with a big crowd, he had a way of offending them and getting rid of the big crowd. Did you ever notice that? I mean, Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to do great things. And man, crowds of people come to Jesus. And then just when he's got a crowd of people, he says, and if you really want to come follow me, you got to pick up your cross and you got to die to yourself. You got to deny yourself and you got to come follow me. He said, if anyone really wants to be my disciple, he's got to love God more than he loves his family. If anyone that, that comes to follow me, they've got to make me the number one priority in their life. And notice what happens. So often the crowds disperse. In fact, one time he had such a really big crowd after he fed the 5,000. And he's got this incredible crowd. And you would think that right before Jesus was going to die and go to heaven, he would fill stadiums with people and make sure that he would prepare them so that when he died, they would follow him. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, when he had this big crowd of people he said and anyone who wants to come follow me they must eat my flesh and drink my blood wow that's weird and they couldn't understand and the bible says that most of them departed but jesus was really concerned about one-on-one -on -one discipleship you see the truth is jesus was always more interested in the one pouring into the one Seeing life transformation happen in the one. In fact, Jesus said that the good shepherd, he's going to leave the 99 to find the one, to minister to the one. That's why Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples one person at a time. In fact, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Very familiar passage. But Jesus before... He ascends to heaven. He tells his disciples. He spent three and a half years with his disciples. And now he tells his disciples, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world 
and I want you to make disciples of all nations. He said, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to know in the third service that we have a water baptismal service. And here's the truth. The truth is, if you are a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, then the next step that you need to take is to be water baptized. That's not an option. It's a command of the Lord. You see, because if you love Jesus and you know what Jesus has done in your life, if you've been born again by the power of God, then you need to be water baptized. In fact, Peter included it in his sermon. He said, repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sin. Does baptism make you saved? Does baptism give you eternal life? No. But it definitely declares that you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, when we build a bigger sanctuary, the first thing I'm going to do is find a way in which we can get a, a tank up on the air somewhere so that we don't have to rip apart the platform so that we can get to the baptismal tank for, so that every time somebody gets saved, their next step is, come on, jump in the tank and be water baptized. Come on, somebody. So I want to encourage you that if you've never been water baptized, that you need to do it. I want to encourage you to go home after church today. You've got a little time between the uh, second and third service and go get a change of clothes and be water baptized in the name of Jesus so that you can declare to the world that you truly are a Christian. He said, and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, pouring into your life, training them, mentoring them to obey everything that I've commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus didn't say build bigger buildings. I think big buildings are nice, and we need a bigger building. But he didn't tell me to build buildings as a pastor. He didn't tell us to fill churches with spectators preach great sermons, and even though good sermons are important to inspire people, to help people, to, to get on board, uh, get on track to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, he didn't tell us to have big Christian concerts. He didn't tell us that we were simply to do church once a week. He didn't tell us to have mass meetings where we simply get people to pray a prayer, although that's important as they start their journey. Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teach them pour into their life in other words what is a true disciple a disciple is not somebody that just comes to church once a week a disciple is not somebody who just fills uh, uh, his head with a bunch of head knowledge a disciple is not somebody who's a member of a certain denomination or a church jesus tells us exactly what a disciple is According to Matthew chapter 28, a disciple is one who obeys the commandments of the Lord. According to Luke chapter 14, verse 27, a disciple is a person who picks up his cross and denies himself and follows Christ on a daily basis. According to John chapter 8, verse 31, a disciple is rooted and planted in his word and continues in that word. According to John 13, the Bible says that a disciple is one who loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, they'll know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. According to John chapter 15, verse 8, a disciple bears much fruit for the glory of God. A disciple bears the fruit of peace in his life, bears the fruit of joy in his life. A disciple bears the fruit of the 
kingdom of God. He has the fruit of the spirit. He's in, in control of his flesh. He understands how to live in victory over his flesh. But he also bears fruit as he goes and gets more people into the kingdom of God. As the Bible says, a wise man or woman, she wins souls for the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, if you really want to be my disciple, then you need to learn how to bear fruit to the glory of my Father that's in heaven. Somebody say amen this morning. In other words, a, a true disciple is a person that has concrete action. He's got concrete commitment and obedience to Jesus Christ. A person who puts Jesus before themselves and their possessions, even before their family. A, a Christian or a, a disciple is a person who's 100% committed to the teachings of Jesus Christ. A person who is growing spiritually. Not somebody who is perfect, but somebody who's on a growth path in their life. They're on track to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. They've got some issues in their life, but they're growing. They've got some hang-ups in their life, but they're growing. They're growing in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A disciple is a person who is in fellowship with other people, serving other people, serving Jesus and serving other people and reproducing themselves in others. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a person who is dedicated to sharing Jesus with those that don't know the Lord. You see, Paul the Apostle was really committed to making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a long mission statement, and no one could really remember the mission statement because it was so long. And so I got on my knees before the Lord with my staff, and we prayed, and we asked the Lord, Lord, what is it that you really want us to do at Bethlehem Assembly of God? Why? Because a mission statement is measurable, and it helps you to recognize whether or not you're doing what God told you to do. And the mission statement for the church is to reach the lost and equip them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Reach lost people. Not shift people from one church to another, but reach lost people and then help them to be equipped to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So that's our mission statement. I want you to help me out and say it with me. Our mission, our mission. as a church is to reach lost people and equip them to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So now everything that we do as a church, we're always measuring it based on our mission statement. Are we really reaching lost people? Are we really reaching unchurched people? Are we really reaching de-churched people? And do we have a track, a discipleship track, whereby people can go from one step to the next step to the next step until they become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Paul had that heart. Listen to Paul's heart as he cries out and he prays for those in Galatians. He says this in, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Listen to what he says. You know, you that are mothers, you know exactly what I'm talking about when, it, when, when we talk about birth pains. And Paul the apostle is a spiritual parent. And his heart, his determination is that he would disciple people so that they could disciple people. But listen to his heart as he cries out. He says to those that are in Galatia, my dear children, I'm your spiritual father. 
And I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Notice what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, he says, I labor, struggling with all my energy, which so powerfully works within me. Listen to me. In the Greek, Paul says, I work really hard at discipling and mentoring and admonishing and teaching everyone that God puts in my path so that I might present them. The word present is to exhibit, to commend, to stand beside or make a presentation. Listen to me. Wherever you are, if you're watching this via live stream or in the cafe or at Calvary's family, I want to tell you that one day we will stand before God. And God's going to ask us, every one of us, where are your trophies of grace? Where are the people that you poured into their life? And I pray to God that there will be a line of people and I'll be able to make an exhibit before the Lord and say, God, these are the people that I poured my life into God and they poured their life into somebody else. You see, everybody's going to have a show and tell day. Do you remember show and tell in school? This is my daddy and he's a fireman. Well, one day you're going to have a show and tell, and God's going to say, show me the people that you poured your life into. See, Paul the Apostle said, man, I work hard as a parent. He said, I've got birth pains. He said, I am in pain for those that don't know the Lord. He said, I have a passion for those that need to grow in Christ. I see people that are struggling with sin. And he said, it pains my heart. He said, so that I've given myself to this labor of love as I teach and admonish and correct and rebuke and pour my life into these people. So on one day, I might have a show and tell person that I can exhibit before the Lord and I can present. Listen what he says. I can present them perfect in Christ. You know what that word perfect means? doesn't mean without sin it doesn't mean that we live a life without struggle but that word perfect means mature it means complete a full age in other words paul says my job is to pour my life into others discipling people mentoring people so that on one day i can present them before god as mature christians fully devoted followers of jesus christ so let me ask you a question. Can you tell me the person who poured their lives into you? See, because here's the truth. The truth is everyone who is a growing Christian, who is a mature Christian, has had somebody in their life that has invested their time in them so that they could grow in their faith. This morning, I want to invite a couple of folks to come up to the platform and help me to illustrate this great great job description that we have of discipling other people. So I'm going to ask a couple of the pastors and, and some of the mature people uh, in our church just to come real quick, some of the women, and, uh, and we're going to ask them a couple of questions. I think Pastor Josh was going to come up as well. Maybe he's at the diner right now hanging out right between now. I'm just kidding. But uh, we're going to ask them some questions because I think that it's really important for us to understand that there are people in our life that have poured into our lives. There are people that have invested in our life. And so I'm going to ask these, these women, and I thought about them because I see both Leslie and, um, 
Tori, I see them pouring their lives into other people. In fact, I'm going to call an audible right now. Would you come up here as well? Come and join me. Yeah, come on and join me. Yeah, yeah. And Pastor Henry, yeah, you was at the deli. Come on, Pastor Henry, come on up. I'm kidding. Let's give Pastor Henry a, a big hand. Come on, Pastor Henry, we love you. Come on up. I'm going to call an audible. Just follow my lead on this. You see, everyone has a strong Christian in their life that is poured into their life. Somebody said that every one of us need three people in our life. Other than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we need three people in our life. What is he doing? I'm sweating too. Thank you, brother. But someone said we need three people in our life. Everyone, every Christian that has a chance of growing, every Christian needs three people in their lives. They need a Paul. They need a Barnabas, and they need a Timothy. Paul was a mentor, and everyone needs a mentor in their life, someone who's pouring into their life. But we also need a Barnabas, somebody who's going to encourage us, somebody who's going to root us on, somebody who's going to love us and really, really encourage us to be everything that we ought to be in Christ. And then everyone needs a Timothy in their life. And so I'm going to ask these great folks if they would tell us just a few things. Number one, Leslie, tell us who the person was in your life that just really invested in you. Um. Um, first of all, I, I never thought about this ever before until Friday when um, I had gotten a call about being up here. And um, I was going to say my closest friend, we got saved the same week. We've been with each other through marriage, uh, family members passing away. But when I really thought about it, um, the first 10 years of my life, the um, church that I had been in that I had actually gotten saved in, uh, we had small groups at, in homes every single Wednesday from the time that the church had started till I'm sure it's even going on now. And although on Friday nights there was youth group and there was young adult groups, um, the, the, the church felt that when you got saved and I was 21 years old, everybody needed to be together with all different age groups. And so um, my friends and I, there were about two or three of us, we all got saved within a, a few weeks of each other. We were put in a small group with people who were old enough to be our parents. And so, that, so for 10 years, I was always, every single Wednesday night, um, my age group with these other people. And then after you'd have a Bible study, we'd have a Bible study, and then we'd break up and have fellowship because, you know, cake and whatever. And I didn't realize until this past week, the women in my small group were the ones who were my mentors. Um, if I said something negative about my husband, they would lovingly say to me, um, what the Bible said about that and how I was to be a helpmate. If I wore something too tight, too short, or too low, they lovingly talked to me about modesty. Um, so there were actually four women who were in this group, and they've all actually gone on to be with the Lord. They all were married over 50 years. They all had children and grandchildren who went on to follow the Lord. Um, and so these women in my small group were definitely my mentors. Awesome. Tori, can you think of one person in your life that really invested in you and poured into your life? And who was that? Well, for me, it was my sister, Amory. I have five sisters, but my sister, Amory, was four years older than me, and she lived a life from a very young and tender age 
that was all about Jesus. If you asked her when she was nine and when she was 15 and, and 20, it was always Christ, Christ first. So she was my mentor, and as a sister, and only like a sister could, she asked me very difficult questions. She, Daddy loved me perfectly, and Daddy always chose to believe the best about me, but Annie knew the truth. And Annie would call me out, and she would kindly and gently correct me and love me and ask difficult questions, but always give me a restoration. She'd bring me back to Jesus, bring me to the Word, let me know that however far I had fallen, there was always a, a redemption story, that Jesus loved me and that he was the answer. Hey, Rhea, was there somebody in your life that you could say uh, poured into your life and invested in you? Absolutely. Um, I got saved when I was nine years old and um, on a street corner in Jamaica. And I was so excited when I got saved. I was dancing up and down the streets, right? And I got home and then I said, shared with one of my cousins, oh, I'm so happy. I know Jesus. And, um, but in my, when I became 18, I strayed. But this one cousin never let me go. And when I recommitted my life, uh, I called her and I said, Paula, guess what? I'm serving the Lord again. And she said, thank you, Jesus. One down, one more down, four more to go. So she had a list of us that she kept praying about. But what mm. she did for me was the way she lived. She had the gentlest, meekest, kindest spirit. She never judged me or never uh, pointed her finger at me, but she just loved me back into the kingdom. And she set a tremendous example for me to follow. And she's just an amazing woman, and she's still serving God. And thank you, Rhea. Pastor Henry? Was there a person in your life that you could say, this person invested in my life? Who was that person? His name was Brett Favre. Um, he was a graduate. You said Brett Favre from the Green Bay Packers, the quarterback? Dude, man, that's yeah, awesome. I think that's his last name. I'm not quite sure, but, but it's Brett. But um, he was a graduate from ORU, and he came with a team of, of uh, graduates on the mission field and opened up a Bible school. Um, and we spent two years in intense training, and Brett poured into my life. He poured everything I know what to do, from prayer to warfare to everything else in my life to how I'm supposed to carry myself as a man of God. Um, he taught me. And these folks that were in your life, that poured into your life, could you tell me what were some of the characteristics? I mean, you, you've said what they did. Some of them encouraged you. Some of them prayed for you. Some of them corrected you when you needed correction. But what were some of the qualities that they had in their life? I mentioned that one. She was oh, gentle. She was gentle and meek. She had um, that spirit about her. Even when she got upset, but you'd never, she never got angry the way she, uh, she spoke. So she corrected you lovingly. And it, there's just something. She had this aura. You know, when they say you see the spirit of God on someone when you walk in and you just see that glow, that is her even up until today. Even when she's going through struggles, she lived Jesus. Great. I think it's the same thing with the four women um, that fed into my life. They were women of character. You would see them go through some difficult times. Some of them lost their spouses. Um, one thing they all did was they practiced hospitality. Um, they always had people in their home. They always ministered. Um, it, and some of them had no money, but we might have homemade pizza. It didn't matter. We'd have lima bean casserole. Whatever they had in their cupboard, they always opened up their home. And what they represented as women of God to their husbands and their children, their character, they didn't have to say anything. 
just their lives reflected the Lord. All right, now, um, it sounds like these people were like super saints. I mean, like when they walked into the room, the Holy Ghost was on them. Okay, but were they perfect people? Um, were they humans or were they like angels that came down from heaven? They were superhuman people. What were they like? Were they human? Tori? Well, my sisters are super saints, but um, no, but they were transparent. They were humble. They, when they fell, when they made mistakes, they were very quick to, to, let, to let people know that Christ had a, 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 a way to restore them and to, revive, and to give them hope. Um, they were available. They were, if you go to my sister's homes now, they always have someone living in their trailer or someone living in the back bedroom. Because they're available, they were transparent and they loved people. If you love Christ, people are attracted to you because you have something that they need. So, um, yeah, available and transparent and humble. Is discipleship pouring into other people's life? Is that that have that gift do, uh, or is it for the common person? Pastor Henry, what do you think? I think everyone should be pouring into someone. If you love people, it doesn't matter what degree or what degrees you don't have. It's sometimes just sharing your life with someone. You don't need a degree for that. You don't need to be educated. You don't need to be handsome, beautiful, ugly. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to be anything to, to be able to share with someone. Love you, man. Love Can you. I touch on that for a second, yeah. Pastor Steve? I have a coworker who is from uh, North China, and she is, uh, they're a Buddhist, and that woman is the sweetest, kindest woman. And I used to say to the Lord, I said, Daddy, this woman is too sweet not to be into your kingdom. She, was, she had such a kind heart, but she wasn't serving Jesus. So I prayed for that woman every day, and I would speak with her, you know, and the funny thing is, she doesn't know that I'm praying, but... She'll talk to me and said, I want what you have. I want your Jesus. So, you know, and then she got saved, but not through me. I just planted the seed. So she went to a church in uh, Flushing where she lives, and she found, she found a congregation of people that loved her. Now, her family in North Korea, her mom came, and they were like floored. What is this you're doing to the family, blah, blah. It so happens the mom stayed for the summer, and the mom got saved. And she took Jesus with her to North, to North China, and now the rest of the family there are saved. Amazing. Now, if, if those folks that poured into your life, and I, I sense that you guys are tremendously grateful for what they did. If those folks were sitting right here, and you were able to look straight into their eyes and say something to them, what would you say to those people who poured into your life? Thanks for never giving up on me. Thank you for showing me it's possible to stay with the Lord and, and just follow him till the day you die. Yeah, thanks for being an example. Thanks for, for making a path in a way that, that I could follow, going mm -hmm. before me. Pastor Henry, what would you say? Thank you. Um, Brett, who mentored me 20 years ago, said while we were in the school, he said, one of these days, some of you may be missionaries to America. And I think I was part of his prophetic word that day. And that's why I'm here today. Amen. Let's give these folks a big hand. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Great job. Great job. Great job. Thank you. Great job.
Amen. So you see that discipling other people is not left up to just the pastors. In fact, one of the greatest misconceptions of discipleship is this, that the pastor disciples people. But the truth is the pastor cannot disciple everyone. The pastor's job is to train others. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that God gave pastors to equip people for the work of service. And so we have this misconception that one person, that discipleship is actually left to the people who can speak the best, who can be the greatest organizers in the church. But the truth is, it's not about the pastor, but it's about the pastor actually pouring into the lives of people so that those people can go back to where they are and disciple people. So Jesus calls every believer to disciple another believer. The, the, the job of discipleship is really left to all of us. So let me give you a radical statement right here. You ready? Write this down. If you are not spending your time some way, somehow, pouring your life into someone else, if you are not discipling someone else, then you are out of the will of God. Wow. Because your job description, Jesus said to all disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. That's your job description. Your job description is to find somebody. Prayerfully ask the Lord to put somebody on your heart so that you can pour your life into them so that you can reproduce yourself so that they can know Jesus and be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus never intended to limit the great commission to making disciples of all nations to the most effective communicators, the most brilliant organizers, or the most talented leaders. A pastor is simply simply called to equip you. And so I want to give you some ways in which you can disciple other people. Number one, you ready? Write this down. You need to be a lifelong learner. You cannot give somebody what you do not have. You can't disciple somebody unless you are yourself being discipled. And that's why we've got the discipleship track at Bethlehem Assembly of God. You see, we learned a long time ago that our job is to help you, to give you the information and to equip you with the knowledge of God's Word so that you can go to your neighbors and you can go to work and you can take this incredible message and you can take this incredible knowledge that you have and give it to somebody else. But until you decide that you're going to be a lifelong disciple yourself and a lifelong learner, you can't give it to somebody else. You cannot give what you do not possess yourself. Number two, discipleship is not left to the professionals. Discipleship is left up to human beings that are flawed people. I mean, the truth is you got some issues in your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got some issues in your life. And you've got some hangups in your life and you've got some struggles in your life. But you see, it's in the midst of Finding God in your struggles, it's in the midst of working your salvation out with fear and trembling as the word of the Lord says because it's God that works within you. It's, it's, it's when you find God in the midst of your own trials that you can share it with someone else. So I want to tell you right now, the second thing that God calls each and every one of us to do is to do life together with somebody else. Take somebody else on the journey. 
You see, some of us, we keep on waiting until we get mature enough to disciple somebody else. But God says, no, you take somebody along on the journey. And you do life with them. It's life on life. It's letting that person be with you. It's the be with principle. That you literally disciple somebody as they watch you loving God. You literally disciple somebody as they watch you work through your own problems in your life. You take them to Starbucks and you show them what it is to be Christ-like at Starbucks. You take them to a diner. You know, there are some Christians, they go to a diner, and I've got to be honest with you. They sit at the table, and when the waitress comes or the waiter comes, they don't say thank you. They're very nasty, and I feel like jumping across the table and grab them by the You're a Christian! Be nice. You see, because they've got to watch you do it. They've got to see it happening in your own life. And so I've decided that I'm going to do life with other people. So I ask people to do life with me. And as I'm loving God, as I'm serving God, as I'm understanding God in the midst of my struggles and the midst of my trials and in the midst of my accomplishments, I'm giving God all the glory and I'm doing life with other people. And as I'm doing life with other people, I'm serving as an example. This is how you love God. See, we think that discipleship is in a classroom. And it's not in a classroom. It's in life itself. It's at the job. It's inviting somebody over the house. See, we can all do that. How many of you, you can invite somebody to your house for dinner? It's at the dinner table that you begin to discuss the things about God and that you discuss your life and you help them to understand. See, people need to be discipled by example. Why? Because someone once said this about our life. Someone said, I'd rather have an example than a precept any day. I'd, I'd rather one would walk with me than merely show me the way. The eyes are better than a pupil and, and, and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but an example is always clear. I soon can learn to do it if you let me see it done. I can match your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. The lecturers you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons from observing what you do. I may not understand the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Look what he said. Be an example to the believers in word, in your conduct, in your love, in your spirit, in your faith, and in your purity. He's saying, just simply live it out and be an example to someone else and let them see it in your life. Number three, share your knowledge, the knowledge that you have. Listen to me. I'm, 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 I hate to say this, but here's the truth. We are going to be accountable for every sermon that was preached to us. We're going to be accountable for every book that we read. We're going to be accountable for everything that we learned and, and we grew in. Why? Because the Bible says you have freely received, so freely give it out to someone else. It's time to download the information. Come on, somebody say amen. It's time to download the information. Man, we have churches all over the United States that are filled with teachers and preachers, and we've got Christians that are listening to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon and teaching after teaching, and we've got all this stuff in us, and one 
one day we're going to get before the Lord and the Lord's going to ask us, what did you do with the sermons that you heard? Did you give it to someone else? You see, we're going to be accountable for all the knowledge that we have. And man, let me tell you something. Some of you Christians, you got a lot of knowledge. I mean, you know the word. And you're not, now you have to give it to someone else. Share what you know. That's why I believe in small groups. Because when we get into small groups, I love, I love to hear Christians share what they're learning and they're experiencing in their own life. I love small groups. You know why? Because you get a circle of real people going through real stuff in their life who have learned some real good things in the scriptures, in the word, and they share it with other people. They give it out to other people. We're doing life together, and we're sharing not only our lives, but we're sharing our knowledge with one another. Number four, pray for the people that you're discipling. I mean, there are times when God will put them on your heart, and you need to be obedient to pray because they're going through something. Just like Rhea said, that somebody was praying for her. Even before she came back to the Lord, someone was already praying for her. Friend, let me tell you something. There are people in your life that God is going to put on your heart that you need to start praying for right now. You need to start standing in the gap, as they say, and interceding for that person. They may be running wild in the world. They may, they may not really want to know. They, may really, they really might be at a place where they're backslidden and they're far away from God. But God puts them on your heart, and you begin to intercede. You begin to stand in the gap, and you begin to pray for that person. Or maybe there's a person that you're already discipling, and when that person comes to your mind, man, you pick up the phone and you say, man, I'm praying for you. I have a young man in my life. His name is Tom, and I love Tom, and Tom goes through struggles in his life. But Tom's my friend, and I do life with Tom. He is half my age, but I do life with Tom. We go out to lunch together, go to the ball game together. And on the way to the ball game, we talk about the Lord while we're having lunch, we talk about life and how does he deal with certain things. And he asks me questions about dating. And I tell him, don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Love you, honey. And he asks me questions about life. And I'm able to take the principles that I found in the word about life and I'm able to share it with him. And last night I was ironing my clothes and, and Tom came to my heart and my mind and I knew that I needed to pray for him. You see, everybody's going through stuff in their life, and the Holy Spirit alerts us to the stuff that we're going through in our life. And so I picked up the phone as soon as I thought about it, and I said, hey, Tom, I just want to let you know I love you, man, and I'm praying for you, man, and, and, and you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. See you tomorrow in church, man. That's cool stuff. See, you don't have to be perfect to do that. You just have to be available, and you, you need to be open to listening to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. Notice what Paul said to the church. He was always praying for someone. Paul was always praying for those that he was discipling. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. To the Colossians, he wrote this. Listen to what he said. He was so passionate about people growing in the Lord. Notice what Paul says. I love this. This is the prayer that you ought to pray. Write this down. 1 Colossians chapter 9, verse 
First uh, Colossians 1, verse 9 to 11. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in knowledge, the knowledge of God, strengthened with his mighty power according to his glorious power that works so readily in you. That's a great prayer to pray for people. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, he breaks it down. He says, since I heard that you gave your heart to Jesus, I do not cease praying for you every night. I pray for you and I ask the Lord. This is what he says. And I ask that you would be filled with knowledge. And I ask that you would be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you would grow in your understanding. And that you might walk worthy of being a believer and that you might be fully pleasing to him, and that you might be fruitful in your life. Didn't Jesus say that the will of the Father is that we might be fruitful to the glory of the Father, and that you might be strengthened by the Holy Spirit? And so we're to pray for people. We're also there to challenge people and exhort people. You know, we need to be living in, in, in such a way in our life that it would challenge other believers to love God the way we love God. You know, I was a, a young pastor, and I, I really didn't know a whole lot of the word at the time. I was just, a, I just loved people. And I'll never forget that, that God showed me a strong principle. You see, I love God with all my heart, and I got to tell you, I love to pray. And I know that God answers prayer. I know that when I get on my knees and I pray and I seek the face of God, and I believe God, God will answer my prayers. And man, I really wanted these young people to learn that principle. I wanted the people that I was discipling, the young men and women in my youth group, to be prayer warriors. And I'd preach about it. And I'd say, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need... And God spoke to me. And he said, don't tell them what they need to do. Show them what they need to do. And I remember we would gather together on a Friday night, and I'd just cry out to God. i just pray, God, God, I know that you can do great things, God. And God, I know that you can uh, win the loss, God. And God, you can heal the sick. And little by little, I would watch my teenagers as they were watching me do it. They would start doing the same thing. They were little Steves praying. You know what I'm talking about? As Paul the Apostle says, follow me as I follow Christ. Friend, I want to reproduce myself. I want to be able to say that there are people that look like me because I look like Jesus. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Glory to God. And the truth is, there is a mirror in our life. And I know that we want them to be like Jesus. But you see, as we are like Jesus, they in turn will follow us and they'll look just like Jesus themselves. And so when you look in the mirror, is there anyone in your life that looks like you? Are you reproducing yourself? in other people. You see, we need to challenge people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes, as you know how we exhorted you and, and charged you, every one of you, as a father, does his own children that you should walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to be their very best for God, and he challenged them. And we need to challenge people. We need to tell them. We need to look at them straight in the face and say, you can do this thing. 
you can live for God. You see, I'm, I'm just a fallible human being, and I'm, I'm faulty, and I make mistakes, but you know what? One day at a time, I put my spiritual foot in front of another one, and I can tell you for 30 years, I've been doing this, and you could do the same thing. The Bible says that we need to encourage one another in the Lord. We need to bring comfort to one another. You see, disappointments and failure will come to every believer. And because we're there, we're just there. Here's what I've learned. I learned so often that the be with principle is more powerful than telling somebody something. And you know what? When a Christian is going through a hard time, when they're in the hospital and you show up, man, it shows them the love of Christ. When a Christian is going through a difficult time and you sit on the couch with them and you cry with them, wow. It shows them the love of Christ. See, we need to learn how to encourage. As the Bible says, encourage one another in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul calls on believers to comfort the faint-hearted. To comfort someone means to come alongside and speak words of encouragement or counsel to them or console them. The word faint-hearted, listen to me, means small soul. A soul that is shriveling and dying, but you could speak you could breathe life back into that soul again because you're, you're willing to encourage someone. You see, discipling someone isn't so hard after all. You have to be a lifelong learner. You have to be willing to invest your life in someone else. You have to be willing to do life with that person. Download the knowledge that you have into that other person's life. And you got to be willing to pray, exhort, and encourage the person because here's what I've learned. I've learned that one person who decides to win one person to the Lord each year of his life for 30 years and teaches that person to disciple another person for 30 years. And that person teaches another person how to disciple someone for 30 years. In 30 years, listen to me, eight billion people will come to know Christ as their Savior. If that same group of people does it for 33 years, over 15 billion people, that's not even, there's not even 15 billion people on the planet. And if somebody decides to do it, and all of those people decide to do it for 34 years, 17 billion people will become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at me, listen to me. Jesus knew what he was doing when he chose to pour his life into 12 men. He knew it wasn't about the crowds. It was about each Christian making a decision to pour their life into one more Christian and that Christian pouring their life into one more Christian. And God said the whole earth would be filled with the glory of God. You see, the master plan of evangelism works one on one. It is very possible for the whole earth to be filled with the glory of God if every Christian in every church takes discipleship seriously. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would give us a passion to pour our lives into other people, God. That, Lord, there are people all around us, Lord, 
that they don't need a theologian, they don't need a pastor, they just need a Christian who loves them enough to do life with them, God. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up a mighty army of Christians. An army of Christians, God, who believe with all their heart that in their humanness, just the way they are, God, you want to use them to invest in the lives of other people. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring your life into? See, because radical grace creates a radical desire and passion to give what we have received to someone else. You don't have to go to Africa, my friend. You don't have to go to Asia. You don't have to go to the Middle East to make disciples. All you need to do is be aware that there's someone already in your life that God wants you to invest in. And maybe you're here this morning and every head bowed and every eye closed in this place and you would say, Pastor Steve, I'm not certain that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. And I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Pastor Steve, I'm not certain that I have a relationship with God and I need to have a relationship with God. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, maybe you're in the cafe. Maybe you're watching this via live stream. Maybe you're in the balcony. Maybe you're at Calvary's family today and you're sitting in your seat today and you say, Pastor Steve, I need God in my life. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. Anybody in this place right here? Just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I need God. God bless you. I need God in my God bless you. In the balcony, you say, I need God in my life. I need to get right with Jesus today. I don't know if I die today, I'd go to heaven, and I need to get right with God. I want you to raise your hand right now. Say, yes, pastor, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe you're watching this via live stream. I want to encourage you. Our information is on the website, and if you're going to give your heart to the Lord today, I want to encourage you to send us a letter. Send us an email. And we'll send you the information and the material that you need so that you can start this journey of faith. If you're at Calvary's family today, I want to encourage you right now to raise your hand. Your pastor is standing in the front of church right now, and he's looking. And if there's anybody at Calvary's family, you say, Pastor Steve, I'm not certain that if I died today, I'd go to heaven, and I need Jesus. I want you to raise your hand right now, and your great pastor is going to follow up with you and pray for you. I want everybody to stand, if you would, all across this sanctuary, in the cafe, in the balcony right now. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do two things. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do, because you know what? We don't play games at Bethlehem. We make disciples. But we can't make a disciple. We, can't, we don't know who you are unless you do what Jesus said that you ought to do. Come follow him. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must come. Pick up your cross and follow me. And today is going to be your first test. Today is going to be your first opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yes, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to follow Jesus. If you raised your hand and you said, Pastor Steve, I need Jesus in my heart. 
I want to give my life to Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. You say, don't, don't do that to me. I don't want to be embarrassed. Listen, if you can't come out of your seat and follow Jesus here, how in the world are you going to do it outside? How are you going to do it in school? How are you going to follow Jesus in the colleges? How are you going to follow Jesus when other people are turning away? It's, 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 it's class 101 on following Jesus right now. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to ask your neighbor this question. If you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? If they say, I don't know, I want you to grab them by the hand, and I want you to say, it's class 101 on following Jesus. Let's go to the altar and give our lives to Jesus. Now listen, if you're in the balcony today, don't let that balcony keep you from coming down to this altar and giving your life to Jesus. Walk down the steps, just like Jesus walked up the hill. You walk down the step and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come. But Turn to your neighbor right now and say, do you know Jesus? And if you died today, are you certain? If they say, I don't know, grab them by the hand and come right now. If you raised your hand, come on out of your seat right now. Come on, quickly, quickly, come on, quickly, quickly. We got another service coming right behind us, and, and I want to give you time. Come on, come on, come on. You say, yes, I need Jesus in my life. I want to serve Jesus. I want to find God in my life. Get out of your seat. Come on, come on, come on, come on. In the balcony, you, some of those people in the balcony, you raised your hand today, said, I want God in my life. I want you to get out of your seat and come right now, quickly. Quickly, come, quickly. Quickly, come on, let's give these folks a big hand as they came and responded to the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, in a moment, we're going to pray for these folks that are here. In a moment, we're going to pray for these folks that are here. So stay with me, folks. You are courageous. You are awesome. And God is going to do a work in your life. You see, I did this 31 years ago. I walked down this aisle right here, and I stood right here, and I said, I want God in my life, and I'm not playing games. I really want God. I want all of God in my life. That's where you need to be. I want God in my life, and I'm not playing games. It's all God. I'm all in. Come on, give these folks a big hand for being all in. For being all in. Now, I want to ask you a question. You're here today, and you're a Christian. And man, God has downloaded, God has, they're still coming, God has downloaded, He's downloaded information into your heart. God has downloaded His grace into your heart. God has blessed you. How many of you, you've been blessed by God in this place? Let me see your hand. Come on, you've been blessed by God. Well, let's, let me tell you something. You've been blessed to be a blessing to somebody else. Glory to God. How many of you, you've been educated in the Word? God, you've been educated in the Word so that you can educate somebody else. You see, the Bible says freely you have been given, so freely give it out to somebody else. And I'm going to call you in a moment to make a stand. God's going to do something. It's called the master plan of evangelism. God's going to call you to pour your life into somebody else. To say, yes, I'm ready to pour my life into someone else. I'm not perfect. And I make mistakes, but I'm ready to pour my life into somebody else. If you're ready to pour your life into somebody else, you say, God, use me. God, I don't want to keep all this stuff in here. I don't want to keep this stuff in here. I want to give it to somebody else. I want you to get out of your seat right now and meet me right here and say, I'm ready to do this, God. I'm ready to download the stuff into somebody else's heart. Come on. Come on. Right now, you say, yes, Lord, I want you to use me. Come on. I want you to use me, God. I want to be a discipler. I want to start discipling people. Come on, all over the place. Come on, come on. Say, yes, Lord. Use me, God. I want to pour my life into other people. Come on. I want to be a pourer of people. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. You say, God, use me. God, I want to disciple other people. Come on. Come on. See, this is a holy moment right now. This is a holy moment. Because this is what you're saying. This is what you're saying. 
You're saying, I can't keep it to myself any longer. I have to give it to somebody else. I can't keep all this good stuff that God's blessed me with. I can't keep it to myself. I need to give it to somebody else. What you're saying is, is God, I'm human. Look at me. I'm human. But I want to do my life with somebody else. I want to pour my life into somebody else. If that's you today, I want you to get out of your seat. Come here and say, God, I want to use my resources. I want to use everything to bless other people. Come on. Come on. Come on. In a moment, we're going to worship God. You see, I, I believe today was one of the most important sermons that I've ever preached because it's not about us see America is filled with pastors who want to make other people feel good about themselves America is filled with pastors who have these nice self-help sermons and tell people how they can get better how they can get richer how they can have everything that they want from God because God's a big Santa Claus in heaven that wants to bless them with ever. That's not the gospel. Your job description is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's your job description. And friend, if you're not making a disciple, you're out of the will of God for your life. And so I know that some of you might be busy. You might say, well, I'm so busy. Unbusy yourself. Because there's only one thing that is important and there's only one thing that will last. All the people that you pour into their lives so that one day they will become a trophy of grace and you will present them to God and say, this is the person that I poured into his life, her life. I present so-and-so to you now. How many of you want some trophies of grace when you get to heaven? How many want some trophies of grace when you get to heaven? Yes, Lord, give me some trophies. Come on, raise your hand and say, God, give me some trophies. Raise your hand and say, God, give me some trophies. Come on. God, give me a heart, God, to disciple people. God, give me a heart to pour my life into other people, God. Lord, help me, God, to pray for those that don't know you and pour my life into those that do know you. Use me, God, for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. I want to turn this place right now in the balcony on the first floor in the cafe. I want to turn this place into a holy, sacred moment where you are being commissioned. Listen to me. Listen to me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. God gave pastors to equip the people to do the work of discipleship. Are you ready for your great commissioning? Listen, you don't need a plaque on the wall. You don't need a diploma from a Bible school. What you need is a heart to do life with somebody else and give them whatever you receive, give it to someone else. If you learn in foundations class, give it to somebody else. If you learn in small group, give it to somebody else. You hear a sermon, give it to somebody else. How many of you are ready to be commissioned? Raise your hands. How many of you are ready to be sent out to make disciples? Raise your hands. Come on. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. For everyone in this church, God, that's ready to make disciples, God. Lord, I pray that they would recognize that they don't need to be a pastor. Lord, they don't need to be a skilled orator. All they need to do is say, I'm willing. Use me, God. Father, in the name of Jesus, as they raise their hands towards heaven, God, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit, God? Lord, would you fill them with a passion? 
God, would you give them the insight to be able to see people that are worth investing in, God. Lord, show them someone that they can spend their life investing in, God. So we thank you, God, that right now, God, you're coming in this place, God, and you are pouring out your spirit, God, because our hands are raised towards heaven, and we're saying, use us in the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said... Come on, sing this song with me. I'll stand. Hallelujah. Come on, let's turn this place into a place of worship. Hallelujah. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Come on, raise your hand. of the one who gave it all. I'll stand. I'll stand. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours.
there was a there was a young boy he was 13 years old and somebody in the church told me about this young boy this young boy's name was Corel he looked like Urkel and he was made fun of so often and Corel really was at the end of his rope he was 13 years old and he wanted to commit suicide and I was just a youth leader I was barely 21 years old I had just gotten married but I knew that God wanted me to pour into the lives of other people but I didn't have a whole lot I was still struggling myself I'm a 21 year old young man God I'm, but God says you know what I'm gonna use you to change Corel's life I didn't know a whole lot but I knew how to love I knew how to be human and I knew how to take what I had and give it to someone else so I'd hear a good sermon I'd give it to somebody else I'd read a good book and I'd give it to somebody else and so my wife and I we had just gotten married and thank God for my wife who allowed me to do so much of this and I would spend hours with Corel on the phone and I didn't have a whole lot to say to Corel. I just say just listen to him just listen just listen just listen well Corel didn't commit suicide grew up to be a man and I thank the Lord that even in my very young pastorate when I didn't know a whole lot I was willing to give to somebody else and I save a man's life God did but God used me to just be there to be with principles well, when I was 13 years old I wasn't feeling very good about life myself my father had died my stepfather had died a lot of stuff went on in my life and and, and I'm telling you I thought about ending my life but you see there was a man named John Hale he had his own problems John had his own problems in his life but he loved Jesus with all of his heart and he wanted to pour into the life of someone else so John Hale decided he was gonna pour his life into a young man named Steve Malazzo and so he poured his life into me how did he do that he invited me to go fishing on his boat and after Sunday school he'd call me off to the side and say hey Stevie how you doing well I'm not doing so good what's going on in your life and I just pour my heart to John well time passed much time passed and God saved me at the age of 19 and I gave my heart to Jesus and I went into the ministry and the church started growing and now we were up to 600 people at Bethlehem Assembly of God and God was doing great things and people were getting saved lives were being changed young people were going into the ministry and God was doing a great work and I got a phone call one night from my mom and she said Steve guess who I got his phone number I got John Hale's phone number you remember him I said oh mom I remember John he was that Sunday school teacher that really cared about me and he poured into my life he saved me from doing some stupid things in my life she said Steve I, I think you ought to call him and I'll never forget one Sunday night after service God was doing some incredible things in the church I went up to my office I got his phone number out and I called him up he was in his 70s at that time and I said hey John this is Steve Malazzo do you remember me and he said yes I remember you I said, John, thank you. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you that even though you weren't perfect, you chose to pour your life into me. And you know, when I get to heaven, 
I'm going to walk up to John and I'm going to say, John, you see all these trophies? You see all these people that are in the kingdom today? You see all these people that have come to Christ? You get the residual and the interest on all of them because you were willing to give and to pour your life into me. See, for every person that you pour your life into, God is pleased, and you get a part. Who was the man? Who was the young lady who poured into Billy Graham? Who was the man who poured into Charles Spurgeon? Who was the man? Who was the woman who poured their lives into the great men of God that are out there, women of God today that are doing great things? We don't know who they are, but I assure you there was someone who poured into their lives. And today, heaven is filled with people because somebody cared. Father, bless these wonderful people today. I love them. And I'll spend my whole life pouring into their lives. God, I pray that they would take what they learned and they would pour it into somebody else's life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Hug somebody on the way out. We love you.